0: The Tom Woods Show, episode 1710. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, if you're considering homeschooling, you know I recommend the self-taught Ron Paul curriculum for which I created 400 videos. It's an excellent education in all the standard subjects, plus personal finance for teens, how to be an effective public speaker, how to run a home business, the kinds of things nobody teaches, but they darn well should. Not to mention it's self-taught so you get your sanity back as a parent. Make sure you join at my special link because only there do you get my $160 worth of free bonuses you can't get anywhere else. Check it out at ronpaulhomeschool.com. Hey everybody, Tom Woods here. Quite an episode for you today. We're gonna be talking about the economy, what its prospects are, what it looks like right now, short run and long run. And my two guests have rather a disagreement about what the immediate prospects are, even though they both agree that the policies of the federal government and the Federal Reserve are destructive and bound to have bad long-term effects. The two guests are David Stockman. Both these guests, of course, have been guests on the Tom Wood Show multiple times in the past. David Stockman is a former director of the Office of Management and Budget, under Ronald Reagan. Before that, he was a U.S. Congressman. He spent many years in the investment world. He publishes David Stockman's Contra Corner, which you can check out at davidstockmanscontracorner.com. And then also Gene Epstein, former economics and book review editor at Barron's, did many things over the course of his career, taught economics at the college level, was chief economist for the New York Stock Exchange, he now hosts the Soho Forum in New York, a tremendous libertarian debate series. All right, gentlemen, let's get started. Gentlemen, let me ask both of you one at a time, starting with David. If you could now, let's let's let me say something about both of you, gentlemen. You're both brilliant people. You're both wonderful people. You've both been great friends of the Tom Woods show. You're also known for not being exactly shy in front of a microphone. So I'm going to ask you if you can try your best to give me just a two-minute bird's-eye picture of what you see as either the problems or, in Gene's case, what you see as the hopeful signs about the economy right now, and then we'll spend the rest of the time unpacking it. But just give a bird's-eye layman's overview of what's going on in your opinion, David.
1: Well, uh, you know, we're dealing with a political and culture war now, not simply a health uh, matter or a health crisis. The establishment, the political class, whatever you want to call it, has been so determined uh, to undermine the Trump administration, and really most of what it's doing I don't support, but still they've been so determined to undermine the Trump administration that they uh, blown this COVID thing way, way, way out of proportion. I mean, this is a real problem. It impacts badly the very elderly, the frail, people with comorbidities. But the facts are so darn clear. 80% of uh, the deaths, uh, and they count everything, are among people 65 and over, and a high share of that is 85 and over. The average age of death, so-called, even by CDC from COVID, is over 80 years longer than the average lifespan in the United States. So we never should have gone to lockdown nation. We never should have gone to this total panic and hysteria that we have in the public that is now driving uh, economic activity. And especially it has caused Washington to become totally unhinged fiscally. I mean, they're now debating whether, and I know Trump uh, took these actions uh, Sunday, but I'm sure they'll supersede it with some kind of deal. But, uh, you know, they're debating whether it should be $2 trillion or $2.5 trillion on top of the 3.2 we've already had. What are they talking about? $5 trillion worth of spending within, uh, you know, four months that hasn't really been considered or reviewed? It's the everything bailout, money going in every direction. Fiscally, uh, you know, we're in uh, bad, bad, bad shape. I've never imagined anything like this we're going to spend over $7 trillion this year, take in $3 trillion. You know, you're going to borrow more than you take in in revenue. This is banana republic finance, and the Fed, of course, is accommodating it all. So I think we're in bad shape in every dimension of what we're looking at uh, in terms of uh, our economy, in terms of our democratic process, in terms of what's happening now to the Constitution and to uh, the rights of individuals. Uh, we're in a very bad place, and it's happened dramatically and suddenly since Trump made a huge, huge mistake uh, in the middle of March by you know, declaring this emergency and putting this task force up and allowing uh, Dr. Fauci and Scarflady and the rest of them uh, to uh, create a hysteria in the country that is totally unwarranted.
0: Oh, that was beautiful, David. I couldn't have asked for better. All right, Gene, take a couple of minutes, and then we're going to unpack all this. <laughs>
2: okay. Well, first, um, uh, there's uh, nothing uh, that David has just said that I, I should put it another way. Everything that everything that David just said, I totally agree with. And uh, you know, I guess it's worth noting that uh, I'm still alive at 75. I think I got about two years on David. I virtually certain he's past 70. So we, you know, we're vulnerable to COVID-19. You know, we, we, uh, and uh, we didn't want the lockdown. And we know that it was insane. And David has been a great voice for liberty uh, ever since I read his book uh, about uh, the Reagan Revolution, the why the Reagan Revolution failed. I guess I wanted to uh, put a finer point on maybe aspects of the outlook where David and I might disagree. I've called the recent collapse the Great Suppression rather than the Great Recession or the Great Depression. And in an article I wrote, I began by citing Murray Rothbard's point that there are cases in which the Austrian business cycle theory does not apply, in the Great Suppression, just as I'm sure David would agree, government's iron fist is imposed on capitalist acts between consenting adults and uh, the government. But the silver lining, so to speak, is once government starts to loosen its grip, the economy starts To recover. Now, I completely agree with David that virtually all of what the Federal Reserve has done has been ultimately destructive down the road. Uh, What the government has done has been ultimately destructive down the road. But timing is everything in what we think in terms of the outlook. I see the problems getting especially acute 10 years from now. Meanwhile, I do see a slow recovery that's already begun. It's been confirmed by a cumulative 9.5 million gain in employment in consecutive months of May, June, and July, although we still obviously have a long way to climb from the 21.2 million job decline in March and April. The recovery has been further confirmed by the Institute for Supply Management Index of Manufacturing, which has signaled expansion in both June and July. David has written an August 1st piece called Your Government Ordered Depression Has Arrived, in which he expressed concern about the huge service sector. But the Institute for Supply Management Index of Services has also signaled expansion in June and July. Um, My, I guess, relatively optimistic outlook, perhaps compared to David, is further supported by my view that herd immunity from COVID-19 has already been achieved in most of the Northeast and will be achieved in most of the rest of the country fairly soon. The politicians will start to catch on and reopenings will keep happening. Um, Now, real gross domestic product in the second quarter was down 10.6% from the last year's fourth quarter peak, that's the worst two-quarter drop since the Great Depression, but the second quarter should mark the trough of this recession, with growth resuming in the current third quarter. But this slow recovery means it will probably take well into next year before quarterly real GDP matches the fourth quarter peak. Now, again, I guess I split the difference uh, with many because I see vast potential for the U.S. economy to grow, I think that the entrepreneurial energy in the U.S. economy is extraordinary, and it doesn't go away. Uh, The 2% growth, 2.2% growth that we had through uh, the fourth quarter of last year was obviously ridiculously low, but it was 2%, and I think that we probably won't do as well. We're probably going to have a 1.5% growth. Not very good, but it will be growth, and it will spread some benefits to all levels of the economy. I'll stop there.
0: David, do you think you can make room for a little optimism in light of Gene's numbers, or do you look at it differently?
1: Well, um, yeah, I I agree. Those are the numbers that we're getting. I also agree this isn't a normal business cycle or an Austrian business cycle or anything that we've experienced historically. I call this economic martial law, when essentially Mm -hmm. the governors and mayors ordered the economy to stop. That didn't create the kind of normal chain reaction of lost jobs, lost wages, reduced spending, and the whole cycle of the economy. We're not in any of that. I think that where I would disagree is that I believe the politicians have gotten so crazed by uh, you know the fear of the COVID and also by the opportunity to exercise such extraordinary power you? people, you know, you're under house arrest or that you can run your restaurant at 33% of capacity but not what it was designed for and on and on. Uh, the politicians are so much in control of this and frankly, I don't think Trump's gonna win. I think whoever uh, is behind the scenes uh, pulling the strings on the puppet called Biden uh, is going to be in charge. And they're going to continue this kind of very repressive economic martial law of one type or another that will keep the economy throttled for a long time to come. And this economy, this is where I probably disagree with Gene, this economy can't stand being throttled because the debt burden is so high in all the sectors. There's 78 trillion worth of debt out there on the public and private sector of the economy, 16 trillion on households, 16 trillion on business, um, you know, 20 some in government and so forth. And as a result of that, we're going to be seeing broken furniture happening everywhere as long as the economy is running at this low level. Yeah, there'll be some bounce back in Q3 and Q4, but we're going to be way under in terms of cash flow and income where we were at the end of last year. And that and that's where I think, uh, you know, the rubber is going to meet the road. Uh, we're, we're going to finally find that this economy um, can't, um, you know, thrive when there's this much debt uh, on the system.
0: Well, let me jump in, actually, Gene, even though I'm, I'm sure you have a response, but... sure. Back uh, whenever the that the um, incident in Ferguson took place, which was followed by riots, which was followed by claims that the police began to retreat all over the country, this was called the Ferguson effect. Now, whether it's real or not is another matter, but it, it was a, a phenomenon that was that got this term attached to it, the Ferguson effect, whereby some social phenomenon led to a hesitation on the part of another group to fulfill its ordinary duties. I wonder if there's a COVID effect for entrepreneurs that if I have the full knowledge, yes, I agree with Gene that there is a great entrepreneurial energy in the United States, but it can't be infinite and it's not stupid. And if I know that on a moment's notice now, my property is essentially the state's property and I can be told what to do, the terms in which I can operate, if I can operate at all, or if I can operate, I'll operate at a capacity on which I, I couldn't possibly make a profit. Doesn't this have, now we, we can't measure that Ferguson effect and maybe that whole thing was bogus. There's no way we can measure this COVID effect, but surely it has to be real.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Tom, uh- Remember, uh, when uh, we spoke uh, a few weeks ago, you you raised the same question, and I think there's a lot to it. Uh, I guess, you know, in a way, uh, there is uh, certainly uh, in any forecast, there are wild cards. uh, Who the hell can really predict the future? Murray Rothbard, one of the greatest economists of the 20th century, was very bad at predicting the future. And uh, so uh, we are clearly uh, sort of groping a bit in the dark. All of that's. Granted. And I guess part of uh, what goes on with me is that I want to invite you, Tom, to uh, lower New York City to become a guest in our home. You too, David. Uh, to uh, downtown New York, where I've, I uh, I've done the Soul Forum. That's Great Jones Street, Third Street off Third Avenue. Walk around the neighborhood, and the sidewalk restaurants are just on every street. Uh, the uh, just give them the government gives the uh, the entrepreneurs the restaurateurs just a little bit of an inch, and they are functioning. My wife owns a building, and so obviously I'm arguing, arguing for manager. We've cut the rent in half. Uh, the uh, restaurant that she rents to is now paying a little over 7000 a month, had been paying fourteen and is surviving. Now, uh, so all that amounts to is that I think that you can hurt it, but you can't kill it. Uh, and, and to David, so that's basically my answer to you, Tom. That's why this has been the government's uh, stranglehold on the economy, I think, started in the year 2000. The Economic Freedom Index is way down from 2000, basically trended down for the last 20 years. That's the Economic Freedom Index, basically compiled by Fraser Institute. Walter Block worked on it. So did Milton Friedman. And so, indeed, all that's been happening. And that's why I say that I'm hardly an optimist when I say, well, GDP growth, or maybe even private sector GDP growth, is going to be 1.5%, down from 2%, which is indeed absolutely Dismal. Now, to David's, so that's the only response I can give to your point, uh, Tom, that there's a tendency to believe that if bad stuff is happening, it's going to hurt so badly that it's going to kill the economy. Um, it hasn't happened. Uh, certainly, let, let's say that the best prediction of a of future behavior is past behavior. Entrepreneurs have been whipped by the government basically for the last 20 years by George W. Bush, certainly by Obama, and yet. The energy is still there, and of course, extraordinary stuff is going on. I mean, when we read this morning that the failed uh, department stores in in the malls are now going to become uh, fulfillment centers for Amazon. I'm um, difficult to stop Bezos in his entrepreneurship. But to your point, David, you obviously know politicians better than I. I guess my my guess is that if Biden does win. Which I guess is likely, or if Trump wins, even if Biden wins, he simply cannot, his advisors will tell him they simply cannot allow. The stranglehold on the economy to continue. If they allow the unemployment rate to stay near double digits, it's going to be political death to their party, difficult for their senators and congressmen to win in the next election. And I believe that they're going to take credit for ending the pandemic one way or the other, but what really is delivering it for them, certainly delivering it for Cuomo and de Blasio, is herd immunity. So that's where my prediction is different from yours. You could be right. I I do bet, however, that the politicians aren't quite as stupid or self-destructive as some of us tend to believe. I differ on that because what's happened here is
1: this isn't the normal punishment of the uh, private sector or of entrepreneurs that we've gotten from president after president, uh, Congress after Congress for decades now, certainly since the year 2000. This was um, like a heart attack strike that came out of nowhere and deeply, deeply impaired certain sectors of the economy. I want to give one example of that and then tell why I think the politicians have come up with a way around what would normally be exactly what you're talking about, Gene, the uh, inability to keep the economy down. If we take the leisure and hospitality sector, and it's huge, you know, 17 million uh, jobs allegedly by the bls uh, that's uh, restaurants, bars, hotels, uh, uh, sporting uh, events, uh, theme parks, and all the rest of it. In uh, April, out of the blue, hours worked by the BRS data, rolled back, uh, shrank all the way back to the 1977 level. In one fell swoop, they went from where we were in February To 1977, a 43 year contraction overnight. And even after the so called report uh, last Friday for July, we were still at 1998 levels, not in terms of job counts, but hours. And that's really what that whole sector operates on. So that's something totally different. We've never seen anything like that before. Total hours in the U.S. economy, all the private sector in July were still at uh, November 207 levels. We don't have this kind of thing when you look at the statistics. So the damage, uh, the martial law crackdown on economic activity was far more violent, uh, sudden, and much deeper than ever before. That's the first point. second, point is the politicians figured out uh, the only thing they could need to do is just crank up the soup line from coast to coast, pass these massive everything bailouts, and basically try to hold cash flow of small business and income and earnings of workers harmless. So that, you know, you have the teachers today saying, we don't want to open the schools. We'd rather get a year of paid vacation uh, and so forth. Now, I think they will continue that. And, you know, Trump's going to cave in already at 400 a week. He'll end up at five or $600. You add that to the state, which averages about $400. you are paying 1, 1100 thousand, eleven hundred a week to 30 million people. Uh, it's a 50000 60000 a year income. That is going to keep uh, the natives from being too restless. And as long as the Fed keeps monetizing all that debt, you know, I mean, it's absurd. The uh, 10 year this morning was back to 5.55 50. or something like that. So, the reason I don't think the politicians are going to wake up or rise up, uh, all the things that you're saying, and get their uh, foot off the neck of the economy is they're just going to keep pumping that money out there, at least for a few months. Of course, They'll never agree to extend it very long because if you extend it by three months, it doesn't look as costly as if you extend it for six or 12. And that's how they're going to, you know, square the circle on this uh, debate between a trillion from the Republicans and three and a half trillion from the Democrats. They'll come out at 2.3 because they're going to fudge when everything expires. But they're creating, therefore, all these fiscal cliffs that the politicians will panic as soon as you get uh, to the date. Look at what Trump did Sunday. He tried to extend unilaterally, uh, set aside the Constitution, set aside the taxing power uh, that resides properly in Congress, and he basically said, you know, I'm going to uh, defer taxes and I'm going to reallocate uh, money uh, unilaterally uh, in order to keep the fiscal cliff here, in, in this case the $600, from collapsing uh, You know, overnight. So that's what I think we're stuck on that treadmill. And if the Democrats win, they'll extend it well into 2021 to give them time to figure out what the hell they're doing and figure out who's really running the government. It certainly won't be uh, sleepy Joe Biden. And as a result of that, I don't think they're going to, you know, I don't think the boot heel uh, of the state. That is now uh, you know created this economic martial law as I call it or lockdown is going to uh, give way uh, gene as easily as you would think uh, because they discovered uh, free money uh, from the Fed so you know the, the heart of the evil today is in the Ees building you know uh, you can say that over and over that's where all of this uh, th- that, that's where the chain uh, the, the chain reaction of destruction starts. Because if they weren't printing the money, they would. If the Fed weren't printing the money and monetizing the debt, the Congress in Washington wouldn't be going as crazy fiscally as they are. If they weren't pumping all this money into businesses and households, the public revolt against lockdown would be far more dramatic than it is. And so you can see uh, why we're in such uh, deep trouble.
2: Let me understand one thing you said specifically, David. You're saying that that Biden's advisors, because I imagine that they'll be telling Sleepy Joe what he should do, yeah. are going to say that, you know, a 10% unemployment rate is okay, as long as you keep sending checks to the unemployed. Sure. And, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, sure, sure. But, okay, sure. but you're saying that, that, and this is going to persist well into next year?
1: Yes, I absolutely believe that. Okay. Right. Because, okay. you know, you, you've seen the studies, you follow all this, um, when you take the 600, the 600 plus the regular state benefit, I was watching CNN last night, and the anchor couldn't even understand that below the 400 Trump was talking about, there's already the, the regular program. But the point is 66% of all recipients are now getting more than they earned on the job, and 20% are getting double. Mm. And the average uh, you know, combined federal-state UI benefit today is 134%. Uh, of prior earnings. So there is no urgency there. And they're going to say, uh, you know, uh, Trump screwed it all up. He left the economy vulnerable to the second wave in the next uh, flu season coming in October. We're not going to take any chances. We're going to keep everything bottled up, uh, locked down, and uh, we'll pump out the money to hold everyone homeless. That's That's the real you know, evil uh, that's underway here, the discovery of Washington, that they could hold everybody harmless simply by pumping massive amounts of money into the economy uh, to, you know, come one, come all. Look what happened to the uh, so-called triple P program, BBB, that 500 uh, billion. I mean, it went to everybody and their grandmother who was smart enough to find a bank that would fill out a form for them. I mean, this is, This is crazy. Or they're going to be up one way or another. You can count on it The 1,200 per uh, head helicopter money. That's going to 160 million people. There's only 30 million people uh, drawing benefits today that are technically laid off. Uh, Why are you sending money to 160 million people? This is really uh, out of control. And I'm not just talking about the long-run debt. I'm talking about you know, the near-term
2: uh, insanity of what they're uh, actually doing. The sanity is definitely there. I, I, I guess I want to mention that, you know, that that in a way, both David and I are, like any forecaster, somewhat damaged goods. Uh, I, in, uh, in 2006, I recognized that the housing bubble had burst. I recognized there had been a housing bubble. But in 2007, I was impressed by the fact that private sector GDP, independent of residential investment, was actually accelerating. And I thought that I didn't think there would be a recession. And so I missed the Great Recession. And uh, maybe I was wrong partly because I underestimated the way in which the Fed could screw things up. I thought that, that the housing bubble bursting would not damage the entire economy. David's case, if you just Google him, David, you've got to own up to the fact that you that since 2012, I mean, I don't know if I go further back, I just found that March 2012 and every year thereafter, you were predicting a stock market crash and an imminent recession. And you missed about, you know, double uh, a doubling of the U.S. economy. You've missed, you know, a 2.2% growth in GDP. And I, I do think that in reading your book, you greatly exaggerate the problems in the recent uh, economic expansion. So my point, though, David, is that I do think that you have. I guess I tend to see the glasses as, uh, as half full and you see it as half empty, and I guess listeners should recognize that. But David, you, I don't even know why you like to appear on CNBC and give monetary advice. You're not a money manager. You made your money in something else and uh, you don't have to do that anymore and forecast a 40% decline. CNBC loves you and you have a colorful way of talking and that's part of the reason why I guess you're so effective. But uh, you're impressed by the negative, seemingly. And, I, and of course, getting back to the specifics, I want to repeat that 14 out of 18 industries in the service sector for two months in a row did show expansion. And so obviously, to the extent that the lockdowns were lifted a bit, the service sector rebounded. And obviously, I, I should put this in context for people, maybe you don't understand the technicalities, a recovery doesn't mean that we're getting back to where we were in, in fourth quarter of 2020. 19. I think that's going to take a number of quarters. It could be uh, about a year away. So that's relatively optimistic on my part compared to David. I do think that more jobs are going to be created. We had more than 9 million created. But if David is right, and and I only mentioned uh, his past, his track record of constantly seeing recession just around the corner for the last eight years, uh, and David, you have to own up to the Wall Street joke that you become a stopped clock who's right twice a day. If David, is right, however, that they're going to keep sending checks and they're going to like a 10% unemployment rate and that the liberal media are going to like it, then that's fine. I do think, however, that the numbers, and, and this is my key, I do think that the herd immunity that's been achieved in New York City clearly has been achieved in New York City, but and uh, and in New York State, generally in the Northeast, will spread elsewhere, and that that somebody's going to wake up. They're going to feel somewhat encouraged, and that uh, they're going to even they're going to begin to realize that you can't keep money pumping money to people, and that even when pe- money is pumped to people, the idea that they're out of work now for a year or more is going to make them very unpopular. But David could be right. I'm only talking about how I earn on the side of optimism going into the recession of 2008 or 2009, okay. although I did see growth. David, however, uh, uh, are yeah, on Gene, the side of
0: pessimism. Gene, give, give David a chance here, right? Okay. Uh, uh, Gene,
1: you know, I think you cannot err today on the side of optimism. My negativity over the years has been about the bad policy. You can't have the kind of debt policies we have in this country and expect that uh, life will go on as normal and uh, we'll have a a healthy, growing, uh, robust economy, uh, you know, for time immemorial. The monetary, the central banks of the world have destroyed real... Price discovery, they falsified all the prices. You've turned the uh, financial markets basically into gambling casinos. It is crazy that there's $16 trillion worth of bonds in the world today trading at negative nominal yields. It is crazy that the U.S. tenure, U.S.T. tenure, is trading uh, after inflation at a negative real yield. So therefore, my view has been that sooner or later, and I've never predicted an exact date on anything, my view is that sooner or later, these awful, terrible anti-capitalist, anti-sound money, anti-market policies will create a tremendous day of reckoning. And so therefore, uh, we may stumble along year to year or month to month in the interim, but we've now crossed a real Rubicon in March when uh, they put this lockdown on and then, you know, the Fed uh, printed 27 billion a day uh, for about three months running and uh, Washington went crazy fiscally. I think we're nearing the end of this game. There's a huge mess underlying the economy, all of this debt, all of this malinvestment, all of this speculation. It has not created a healthy foundation. And I'm never going to say I think it's going to happen in November of 2020 or April of 2021. But this can't last much longer, or we might as well throw out a whole book about sound money, about uh, free enterprise, about the way capitalism really works, uh, about honest price discovery in financial markets. We should throw all that out if you think this can continue. I don't think it can.
0: Hey everybody, let's take just a brief minute to thank our sponsor, Hydrant. Now you're going to laugh at me knowing old Wood's here but I'm actually going hiking for the first time in my entire life next week. So I am actually concerned about dehydration. It's crazy hot out there. And of course, by the time you feel thirsty, it's too late. You're already dehydrated. Plus, when you're hydrated, you're more productive. It prevents headaches. Your focus is increased. It improves your skin, your mood, your digestion, gives you energy, all these great things. And Hydrant helps you hydrate faster. They've created a refreshing electrolyte powder you mix directly into water to more efficiently and effectively hydrate your body. Each mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs, sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc. It's made with real fruit juice powder. It's delicious and refreshing, comes in a variety of flavors, I happen to like the blood orange, but now I'm being converted by their summer-friendly iced tea lemonade. I just shake it up in a bottle of water, drink it down, and I feel great afterward. You really need to try it out to see what I'm talking about. It tastes great and it works. We've got a special deal for our listeners to save 25% off your first order. Go to drinkhydrant.com slash woods or enter our promo code woods at checkout. That's D-R-I-N-K-H-Y-D-R-A-N-T dot com slash woods and enter promo code woods for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com woods and enter promo code woods to save 25%. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Well, let me jump in here, Gene. I, I want to ask, since okay. Gene, you've said that in the long run, you see that, you know, obviously the, the seeds of problems are being sown. Mm-hmm. Uh, your your point has been about what are the numbers that we're seeing in the immediate run and how are people's lives going to be affected in the immediate run. But But you said mm-hmm. 10 years from now, definitely some problems. So both of you envision some kind of day of reckoning. And I wonder if you could each describe for the layman what does that day of reckoning look like? What are the features that characterize it?
2: Yeah, well, yeah, well, first, David, look, if if you want to say that you're not going to put a date on it, that's fine. But again, let me emphasize that you are an enormous asset to libertarianism. I have huge respect for you. That's precisely why I want to hold your feet to the fire. Did you not say, did CNBC misquote you? I just saw it in the November 2016. I see a recession coming down the pike in 2017. So you put a date on it. I mean, I could give you other quotes where you have. So, so. but now, and that is, of course, the difficulty just in terms of Tom's question of putting a date on it. Uh, the only, uh, now, just as Tom said, uh, we, you and I basically agree about the outlook. And I guess in forecasting as in comedy, timing is everything. And uh, I see the storm clouds almost inevitably forming 10 years from now, and uh, the reason uh, I do is that I, I do perceive uh, that uh, the debt to GDP ratio is going to start get so insupportable that it will become almost impossible to conceive of the economy making it through. I also believe that the uh, disinflation of the price disinflation of the current period is probably going to continue so and then i also believe that us treasury debt is still being perceived as a safe haven in the world i think that those things are going to begin to unravel about 10 years from now uh, and certainly uh, the idea that we have a healthy economy because i don't think i don't know if you can say that we've ever had a healthy economy uh, but certainly we've had an unhealthy economy since 2000. but And uh, my only point, though, is that the record shows that the unhealthy economy has still managed to muddle through. Still, there have been good things happening. So the things that you mentioned, the debt bubble, by the way, there is a debt bubble for sure. The debt bubble is very simply explained to people. Interest rates are ridiculously low by almost any standard. So the price of all that debt is way too high. Certainly, there's a debt bubble in the US, treasury debt of 20 Trillion, and it's going to rise. Just read the Congressional Budget Office for that. It's going to continue to rise, and eventually, that those chickens are going to come home to roost. But the numbers suggest that the U.S. economy is going to lead an, a charmed life, probably for another ten years. So, in a way, the differences between us aren't great. I only say, David, that if you're no longer going to put a time frame on things as you have in the past, uh, again, I could give you other quotes where you have in the past done so, and you've told people to stay out of the stock market, when the stock market, and since the first time I saw you say this, the stock market's more than doubled in value. So if you're no longer putting a time frame on it, then basically the differences between us are rather small. I think we should wait and see. I'd be fascinated to see if it's really true that the Democratic Party, Democrats in power are going to be happy with the 10% unemployment rate, even though COVID-19 is going to be gone. You could be right. Let's wait and see.
1: Well, uh, yeah, you know, we could debate this, I guess, for days and weeks. To go back to the 2017, and this is a, a key issue all the way, I think it was very likely that we were heading into a recession because the Fed finally was saying, we're going to, after all of this dithering and delay and excuse-making, uh, we're going to finally normalize. We're going to shrink the balance sheet, which at that point was about 4500000000000 trillion. We're going to shrink it, and the estimates at the time were to the high 20s and that we were going to allow uh, rates to normalize, I was pretty convinced that that would finally trigger what was a debt-ridden, weak economy uh, into uh, another recession. Uh, and, uh, you know, you know what happened. Trump uh, went a war against the Fed, and Powell turned out to be his pusillanimous uh, uh, as they come in terms of uh, Fed chairman, and they reverse course dr- drastically. They reverse course drastically, and what, what they're doing today is not even close to what they uh, were uh, announcing as their intended policy at the time I made that statement. So I guess what I should say is that, uh, you know, the the central bankers are so far off the deep end, they're so caught up in the group think uh, that if they keep interest rates uh, at practically zero and they uh, continue to uh, basically support and accommodate and bail out uh, the massive speculation in financial markets, that somehow that can continue indefinitely, I I don't think it can. We have accidents, we've seen them along the way. Uh, You know, uh, the dot com uh, bubble uh, was uh, supposedly something new under the sun, it wasn't, it crashed. Uh, 207, 208, uh, we were told it was the Goldilocks economy. Uh, the economy would, uh, you know, plow its way through. We had uh, a near-death experience, by the light at least, of what was going on in Wall Street in 2009. And each time we get these uh, incipient efforts of the market to try to correct, to try to begin to reflect reality, uh, the, the fiscal and monetary authorities step in. With one new outrage on top of another. And you have to say that printing uh, a balance sheet taking it from low four trillions to seven trillion in a matter of about thirteen weeks is about as crazy as it gets. And yet, uh, if you listen to the daily narrative on CNBC or elsewhere, you know this is all uh, par for the course. The Fed's doing its job. You know this. This is nuts. So uh, I don't know how long uh, this crazy can last. Uh, but uh, I, I can't. I have to believe it's now getting so damn crazy that um, you know things are going to blow. And. and Tom, you ask what will happen, Uh, what do we see as the day of reckoning? I see as the day of reckoning when the financial markets lose confidence in the Fed and the politicians lose confidence in the Fed because the Fed no longer is credible or knows what it's doing. And when that happens, all this speculation is going on online. I mean, you talk about uh, the Treasury, the 10-year at uh, 55 basis points. Well, there is a tremendous amount of carry. Trade speculation on the margin. This isn't just rational people uh, seeking a safe haven. Uh, This is basically speculators saying the Fed's going to keep buying this stuff, so we will too. Uh, We'll do it on repo and we'll make uh, a spread and uh, live happily ever after. All of these markets are very abnormal and uh, they're fragile in the sense that if the Fed ever loses control of this whole massive bubble narrative, There will be,
2: uh, you know, chaos everywhere in the markets, I think. Well, uh, David, you did, okay, you did at least say that you predicted a recession in 2017. And and, uh, I think that was gracious of you. You made a mistake. Uh, In August 2015, you said, the stock market is a huge disaster waiting to happen. Uh, You made those remarks, and you've been understandably alarmed about all that's been going on. And I believe, though, that's led you to see disaster just down the road. But that aside, everything else you say is essentially sound. And by the way, it's more or less been stated in the continual warnings by the mainstream, basically mainstream, uh, nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office. That's the source that I'd like to cite. And uh, I, I think you should cite it as well, that the storm, that this, by the way, the CBO's prediction has been basically accelerated by 11 years. Uh, their prediction about where the publicly held data is going to go has been accelerated by 11 years over the last few months. So indeed, that's all going to happen, and uh, I think that you serve uh, a great purpose in analyzing the fundamental unhealth of the U.S. economy. And I agree with you, by the way, that uh, when Tom asked, "How is it? How is it going to unravel? What's going to happen?" Lack of faith in the Fed. I will add as well uh, the point. That disinflation, which has been good for the economy, is likely to come to a halt. Even Greenspan warned of that in a 2008 book that he published. That uh, by the uh, by about around 2030, the disinflationary forces in the global economy will have spent themselves. So we will have very likely a sort of perfect storm happening in about 10 years. I hope and pray that something will happen to dislodge it because we all know that predictions 10 years out are filled with all kinds of possibly complicated variables. And again, to summarize, if David is right, that the lockdowns will not loosen, uh, nationwide then I agree that uh, that the hopeful signs that the US economy is starting to grow again will probably prove uh, untrue and uh, that uh, we will they, we will have a, be continually mired in this recession in this great suppression in this martial law as as the economic martial law as David, predicts. So I think therein lies the question, will the lockdowns loosen? I believe that they probably will.
0: All right. I've taken a lot of your time. So I'm going to ask for a really, really short final answer. And that is we've been talking in this time to an audience that's pretty well informed about things and that has their heads screwed on right. But I don't think I can describe the you know, the average American that way. I mean, there's a certain wisdom the man on the street has that you can't just live without producing forever. He sort of gets that. But could you, if you ran into the man on the street and let's say he thought that, you know, you you weren't going to convince him that COVID wasn't as big of a deal as he thought. Like, that's impossible. You're never going to change his mind on that. But you could change his mind on whether there's going to be damage done by these policies because he he thinks well the government has a lot of money and you know and it has an infinite ability to go into debt and print money and whatever this is an emergency we have to do it it's not going to be a big deal we, we've been in debt for a long time it hasn't been a big deal how do you speak in man on the street terms to get him concerned can each of you take a minute to try.
2: Wow, David, you go first because that's the toughest question Tom has asked so far, at least for me.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, I don't think you can speak uh, to the problem, uh, unfortunately, to the man in the street because the man in the street is living hand-to-mouth economically. 80% of the population has no real material savings, rainy day funds. Uh, they think that somehow uh, life will go on without disruptions and dislocations. And if, it, uh, if they happen to arise, the government's there to take care of them. So uh, I think that's the embedded belief. And I don't <laughs> know, frankly, how you talk anybody out of it until, uh, you know, they learn from experience that one of these days uh, the government isn't going to be there uh, to you know, uh, uh, tide them over, and then we'll find out that we've been living uh, a very uh, bad uh, dream here. Uh, you can't you can't live hand to mouth in a twenty one trillion dollar economy. It's it's a very uh, dangerous thing. It creates a very uh, fragile structure uh, foundation that um, you can't assume uh, will roll on indefinitely. So I I don't really have an answer to the man on the street because I look at them and, you know, I'm out here in Aspen sheltering and they're they're climbing the mountain. There's nobody in sight. and They're wearing their mask, riding a fat tire bicycle up the hill. I mean, what the hell is that? In other words, the sheeples of America have been totally bamboozled by this and now they're in, uh, I think, the worst kind of, Public hysteria that we've had in this continent since uh, 1693, and everybody remembers what that was about. And uh, we're not going to get out of this easily. Uh, and there's no way to really convince people otherwise.
0: Gene, can you do better?
2: Okay. <laughs> well, um, yeah. Well, okay. Uh, Tom, you've said that. Uh, you know, wh- wh- I've been writing. Uh, you know, uh, tweet threads trying to prove to people the obvious fact that. COVID is over in New York City, the numbers keep declining, and yet, People keep violating the rules. Why should the numbers be rising when young people clearly are having parties indoors? The authorities are cracking down, cashing people indoors, breathing on each other. Uh, and uh, so I try to persuade them, doesn't your common sense tell you the numbers should be rising? Why do we have just a 1% COVID-19 rate when 1% is actually within the range of error? And so uh, I try to point that out to people. And some people, some men in the street seem to understand that simple point. And I would, by the way, like to see some civil disobedience starting in New York City and elsewhere. Uh, Angela McArdle, who's been on on your show uh, a couple of times, has led uprisings in California. I'd like to bring her to New York to do the same thing so that the politicians begin to waken up. But of course, that ducked your question, Tom. The only way in which I could try to answer that question would be to point out, that if the if the publicly held debt on the part of the U.S. government is now at 100 percent of gross domestic product, doesn't the man in the street understand that eventually it can't uh, that this unsustainable trend eventually has to uh, has to stop? That let's put it at 150 uh, percent. It's going to be at 150 percent in about 15 years. Let's put it at over 200 percent. At what point? At what point? will it be impossible uh, for the federal government to pay its debts when the interest payments on the debt that all you need is a little bit of an increase in the interest on that debt when the interest payments of the debt on the debt are going to become such a huge portion of government spending that uh, th- the government will have to uh, uh, have to put a chokehold on so much else of what goes on, that uh, what's the uh, statement from, uh, I forget his name, that when a trend uh, can't be sustained, it's going to have to stop. Uh, so that would be my best attempt to explain it to the man in the street, and I've taken about three minutes rather than your one minute, time. so I guess I'll shut up now.
0: All right. Well, listen, let me conclude by urging folks to follow both of you gentlemen. Gene does great work over at the Soho Forum, even in this COVID time, having online debates on topics of interest to libertarians. So thesohoforum.org is definitely worth checking out. And for David, I subscribe to David Stockman's Contra Corner. There are not many people I pay to read, but David's one of them. And the website is davidstockmanscontracorner.com. And people say, Woods, how can you be so informed and have such a command of facts and figures? Well, because I'm just ripping them right off from David, as I try to give credit for all the time. But davidstockmanscontracorner.com is the site. I'll link to both of those at tomwoods.com slash 1710. And gentlemen, thanks again for your time. Thanks, thanks Tom. Pleasure talking to you, David. Yeah. Bye-bye. All right, everybody, that's our episode for today. Given the topics we've covered, I think it might be useful to mention, in case you don't know, that I have a free ebook called Our Enemy, the Fed, and you will very, very much enjoy reading it. It is packed with information and arguments you can use against your brainwashed friends who think the Federal Reserve is their friend. So go check that out at ourenemythefed.com, and I'll see you tomorrow. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at Podsworth.com.